Amen. What a great joy to see our kindergartners receive their Bibles this morning. Uh, and for all of our students and teachers and faculty and administration that are going back to school this week, uh, please know that we are, are praying for you and praying with you. And matter of fact, uh, this Tuesday, uh, we will have a Tuesday midday prayer dedicated to the start back of school. And that's not been publicized yet, so please make a note of that. You can join us here in the auditorium or online at noon on Tuesday. We'd love for you to be a part of that. And if you have any specific uh, prayer requests or even a general request as it relates to starting back to school or anything else, I want to encourage you, as Justin did a moment ago, to fill that out on the connection card in the, the pew rack in front of you on the QR code. Uh, let us know. I will, I will be looking at all those before Tuesday, and I want to be lifting up those requests uh, before the Father. Uh, well, this summer we were not only blessed to have two youth interns, but we also for the first time uh, had a outreach minister intern, and uh, that was Lily Beth Ayers. And so I'm going to ask Lily Beth if she will stand and just uh, let us thank you for your service this summer uh, to our church. Yeah. And the impact that uh, you had on our outreach ministry here, uh, we're very, very grateful. And so as you head back to school, we were praying for you. Uh, she'll be involved in today's meeting toward uh, our ladies and outreach that's forthcoming there. So very, very thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, please be turning to John chapter 3, uh, the 1,000th chapter in the Bible, literally. Uh, John chapter 3, as we continue our series, World Game Changer, and let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Fathers, we open your word today. Uh, we, we pause to just ask for your guidance. Uh, God, we ask for, for you to, to speak. God, the, the only authority that I have on this stage is, is your word. And so, God, I, I just pray that, uh, that you will uh, reveal to us that which you, you have in store for us. God, my, my job today is not to be spectacular. My, my job is to be faithful. And so just with open palms, we, we pray for a receiving today. Uh, God, we, we pray for somebody who's uh, sitting in our section right now or sitting at home. Father, some we know, some we may not know. Uh, God, and I, I pray, I, I believe that, that someone today needs to hear this message and that you have prepared their heart for it. So God, I, I pray for the one who, who needs this message the most, and I also pray for the one who thinks that they need it the least. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The Word of God for the people of God. I love, I love John's Gospel. Uh, some would say that it's uh, shallow enough for an infant to wade in, and yet deep enough for an elephant to bathe in. I like that. Because a lot of times I've seen uh, teachers, evangelists that have, have given this book to, to new Christians. Say, hey, if you're, if you're new to, to Christ and you're new to Christianity, this is, this is the first book that you need to read, the, the Gospel of John. But I've also seen great theologians and scholars wrestle for a lifetime with this work and this book. And I, I love the fact that God, John's Gospel can do both. 
You, you can spend your whole life in it as an intellectual and a scholar, or, or you, can, you can spend your first days in Christianity in it, and you can glean so much. The Gospel of John. What a beautiful work. And what John does is he, he names four characters that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels. And so, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are just named the Synoptic Gospel because they're somewhat synonymous. Some would believe that, that Mark being the shortest book was taken by Luke and Matthew and used as a, as a text to, to help write their, their, their letters or their books rather. Maybe, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But, but what, what John does, he takes four characters that are not mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels and he gives us light to these characters. The first one is Nathaniel. You remember Philip? One of the disciples invited Nathaniel to come and, and learn about who Jesus was. He's the one who said, you mean Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This was Nathaniel. Only John mentions Nathaniel. Another mention that is only in the book of John is Lazarus. You may have heard the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. This is only mentioned in John's gospel. Another character is Mary of Clopas. You may not be as familiar with Mary of Clopas, but in the text she is at the crucifixion. It's, the Word says that she was the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the fourth character is Nicodemus, who we just read about. Nicodemus. Now, some of you Bible scholars will approach me afterwards and say, yeah, Brett, there's a fifth character that you didn't mention. Remember the high priest's servant, Malchus? And that's true, John mentions his name, whereas the other gospel writers don't mention his name. So we learn his name in John, but he's mentioned in the other gospels. But here's Nicodemus, a man who's got everything. He is, he's a Pharisee, and in that day, I don't like to use these terms, but in that day you had conservatives and you had liberals. The Pharisees were the conservatives, the Sadducees were the liberals. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, they were liberal. The conservatives were the Pharisees, these two groups, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was of the ruling class, Scripture said. He was disciplined and he was respected. He was wealthy in a form of a picture of, of wealth and health. He was a distinguished man, an aristocrat. He was a dignitary. This was Nicodemus. Yet there was something about Jesus that he could not dismiss. Anybody else ever been there before? There was something about Jesus that he could not just put off, that he could not just throw away. Maybe he witnessed a miracle of Jesus. The Word says, as we just read a moment ago, that, that he at least saw or heard that Jesus had performed these signs. And so maybe he saw something that, that just he couldn't, he couldn't get, get rid of. From all indication, Nicodemus comes to do what? He comes to seek truth. A lot of times when a Pharisee would come to Jesus, they would come to Jesus in order to try to trap him. From what we read in the text, Nicodemus is coming to seek truth. He wants to, to know the truth about who Jesus really is. So one of the questions I want to ask us this morning is that what are we willing to risk for truth? What are you? willing to risk for truth. Jesus replies, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Can you imagine 
what this conversation would have been like with Nicodemus. Can you imagine him coming to see Jesus in the night and this conversation taking place? As we've done throughout this series, we want to show you a scene from the show The Chosen. It's been a sh shown with express permission from The Chosen. Website will be available in our comments, and you can download the Chosen app on your device to access their content. Let's take a look. You are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see. Unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear it sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. Verse 4, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell me where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. How can this be? Have you ever had questions about your faith? I remember going to Lipscomb University in Nashville my junior year of college, and I really didn't go there to, to become a preacher. Some, some do, and that's great. Praise God for that. I didn't. I didn't go there thinking that I was going to be a preacher one day. I was actually going there to study uh, communications, uh, which was kind of ironic because I left one of the best schools in the state for communications to go to Lipscomb which has an okay communications program. I'm not knocking it, but it wasn't the best in the state, according to all the statistics. And so I started taking some of these Bible classes, and I started listening to, to some of the, these Bible teachers, and my heart just became uh, captured. I started having questions about my faith and, and this faith that I had grown up with. You know, wh how, how could it be that I had gotten to this stage in life and I didn't know everything? Anybody else have that question in college? Like, I, I thought I already knew everything. How, how, how is it that I'm starting to hear things that I've, I've never heard before? You, you know, why are things not so cut and dry? Why, why don't things just fit into these neat little boxes? Why does there seem to be this gap between my heart and my mind? These were the questions that I was wrestling with my junior and senior and second year senior of college. I was on the five-year plan, by the way. So three things that really kept me on the path during, during this journey, I'll list them on the screen. One was a hunger for prayer, one was a hunger for Scripture, and three was staying connected to a local church. These were the three things that kept me on the path. I'm not saying that, that I did all those perfectly, I'm not saying that, that, that it just made everything else go away, but these, these were things that, that kept me on the path as I was continuing to journey. A hunger for prayer. I remember going into our church auditorium in Nashville and just hitting my knees sometimes and, and just praying all by myself. I was in the auditorium all by myself, just, just praying, just, just asking God for, for answers, asking God for direction, asking God for—there for, are certain prayers that I would prayed all my life. When I was 12 years old, I started praying for a Christian spouse. You know, when, uh, you know I prayed at meals and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but when, I, when I got to college, there, there was just this awakening of, of prayer that began to, to well up inside of me. I began asking—I began becoming so real with God just right before Him, just talking with God. I didn't have to all the these and the thous in my prayer. I just was, just was pouring out my heart to God. This is what it means to have a conversation with God. A hunger for God's Word. In a few minutes, uh, I'll continue teaching our last class on how to study the Bible in the tri-room. And it's really uh, just more than just a, a blueprint for, for how, how to do this. It's, it's really been a, a lifelong journey that I'm continuing to learn on. Uh, but, but, but how does Scripture continue to form us and transform us? And then staying connected to a local church with all of her imperfections. With, I mean, you, you can point to, to a lot of imperfections in the church today. Ours is no exception. 
but there's, there's a value, there, there's a, a biblical principle of staying connected to showing up in a local church. What do we see? Nicodemus was hungry, and the one thing that set Nicodemus apart from the conservatives and the liberals was what? Was his humility. This is what set him apart. He did not allow his pride to keep him from going to Jesus. He went to Jesus. He sat with Jesus. I believe this is true for all of us, but I believe especially for us men, a lot of times our pride keeps us from having those reconciling conversations. Our pride can keep us from serving our spouse. Our pride can keep us from not exasperating our children, as Scripture says. Our pride will keep us from ultimately reconciling with God, but, and it is a big but, although God opposes the proud, He gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. And it's the humility of Nicodemus that gives this platform for Jesus to drop some of the most profound theological truths in all of the New Testament here in John chapter 3. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. John gives us this clue back in chapter 1, if you're following along in the text, if you'll flip back just a couple chapters to John chapter 1, you'll see in, in verse 32, it'll also be on the screen, that, that then John the Baptist gave this testimony, that I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. And I myself did not know Him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Do you, do you see, I want, us to, I want us to catch this today, do you see this, this new birth that Jesus is talking about? It's the new birth that, that John the baptizer had prepared the way for, that water and spirit is this double baptism that you may say. This baptism in the water which brings people into the kingdom movement, and this baptism of the Spirit, this new life that bubbles up from within. This is the life that Jesus offers. And here's what we see, church, is that the early church did not dismiss one from the other. The early church did not separate these two, that without both, Jesus says, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot glimpse it. Uh, most of us, I would imagine, have a birth certificate somewhere. You don't have to confess if you don't know where yours is right now, but my, my guess is it's, it's somewhere. Uh, maybe it's in a safe somewhere, maybe it's in a filing cabinet, uh, maybe it's in a drawer somewhere. My guess is you have a birth certificate somewhere. But I've been in several of your homes over the past several years. You know what I've never seen? <laughs> I've never seen your birth certificate hanging on the wall. I, and, and if that's you, I'm not judging. I mean, hey, you may, maybe you got it on the wall at your house, but, but my guess is it's not, at least at our house, we don't have any of our birth certificates plastered on the wall for people to see when they come in. You know, I don't pull it out of my wallet, and, and, you know, unless I'm traveling and I have to, you know, so, but, uh, you know, you get the, the drift. We don't, we don't publicize this birth certificate. I don't need to prove to you that I was born, right? The fact that I'm on this stage walking around proves my birth. Like, you, you know that. So, I don't have to walk around proving that to you. Birth certificates are of some value, but we don't spend our entire lives highlighting that one moment. 
We believe in baptism. We practice baptism. We invite baptism. But are you living the baptized life? This becomes the question. This becomes this, this double baptism, this baptism of water and of the Spirit. Are you walking in step with the Spirit that gives not just eternal life, but gives life in the here and now? What does that begin to look like? What's the fruit of this Spirit in our life? Well, Paul would tell us in Galatians, the fruit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. My daughter had no idea what I was speaking on today, yet in my office this week, on my dry erase board, she wrote the fruit of the Spirit. And I walked into the office this morning, that's the first thing I saw was these words listed. It's a gift from God just to just walk in and see that this morning. But this, this is the fruit. This is the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. The, the, the Judaism that Nicodemus knew had a good deal to do with being born into the right family. What mattered was being born a child of Abraham. Now what Jesus is saying is that it's, he's starting a new family in which this ordinary birth isn't enough, that you need to be born all over again, born from above. Let's watch one more scene from The Chosen, then we'll close out with some comments. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes, but even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes, they wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about... Sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met... Well, Scripture doesn't specify. I love that final shot of what is depicted as Andrew and John sitting outside listening to this conversation. We don't know if that's how John, you know, came to know this story and put it in his, his book or not. Uh, but, I, but I love that visual. I, I love that picture. Verse 13, no one has 
ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Jesus flashes back to Numbers chapter 21. You can look it up later. The story of the bronze serpent, the people are, are grumbling, you know, why, why did you bring us out of Egypt in order for us to die in the wilderness? You know, we've had all of this, we've had manna pancakes, we've had manna toast, we've had manna pretzels, we're, we're tired of it, we're, we're grumbling. And as they were grumbling, what does the Lord send? The Lord sent serpents, and I love the, the King James Version, he, he sent fiery serpents, the King James says. Fiery serpents. What does that mean? It, mean, it means it hurt when they bit. I'm just tell you all this morning, if you want to start grumbling, that's, that's your own business. And we start releasing snakes up in here, then, then but this is what happened. This is an actual story in the Old Testament. And so, what do the people do? They, they come and, and they, they confess. Numbers 21, 7, the people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So, Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. I mean, talk about a strange story. One of the stranger stories in the Old Testament. And we get no explanation of why God chose to do this. And we don't even hear about this bronze servant until 700 years later. 700 years later, Hezekiah's cleaning house in 2 Kings 18.4, and he smashes the thing because the Israelites are still worshiping this bronze serpent 700 years later. So he smashes it. And to this is what is the symbol for the World Health Organization. If you'll see that on the screen, it's a picture of healing a pole with a snake wrapped around it. Now they will tell you it came from the Greek god Asclepius, but the Greek legend is based on Moses two centuries earlier. This is the story that Jesus chooses to call to the attention of Nicodemus, a time in Israelite history when sin is confessed and there was no remedy that him, humans could develop. No looking to Moses to fix this thing. And the people are dead in their snake bites unless they look at the bronze serpent. What is Jesus saying? That we are dead in our sin unless we look to the cross. That we must be born again of water and spirit. So now you are ready to hear the greatest words in human history. A verse that we quote often, but now that you have the context, now you're ready to hear it. For God, the greatest being, so the greatest degree, loved the greatest affection, the world, the greatest object of love that He gave the greatest act, His only, the greatest treasure, begotten, the greatest relationship, Son, the greatest gift, that whosoever, the greatest company, believes the greatest trust, in Him, the greatest object of faith, should not perish the greatest deliverance but have the greatest assurance, everlasting 
the greatest promise, life, the greatest blessing. I want us to take a moment and just capture that. I'm going to ask the tech arts to just go back a screen. If you want to take a picture of that with your phone or the reason I, I want us to capture this is because this week, I, I believe that there will be a point in your week this week where you will need to recall this, where you will need to bring this back into your mind and your heart. We'll move to the next screen. You take a picture of that. If you don't get it on a picture, you can email me. I'll be happy to send that to you. We'll close with this, verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We only read about Nicodemus two more times in the Gospel of John. Once in chapter 7 and then here in chapter 19. After Jesus' death on the cross, verse 38, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He accompanied by, catch this, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Here's my question. What do you think John 3.16 meant to Nicodemus in this moment? Amen. Scripture doesn't tell us how the story plays out with Nicodemus. But we do know that he showed up. We do know that he was there after our Lord and Savior had been crucified. Seeing the kingdom requires a new vision. So what is keeping you from seeing this week? Let's go to God in prayer. God, we want to see you and your kingdom come. And I pray that you will help us. Uh, we, we desperately need your help. Help us to cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. So, Father, as, as we look out across this room and as we examine our hearts, Father, we, we just give you those things that are keeping us from seeing you. God, I, I give you my pride. God, we, we give you our lust. We give you our anger. We give you our fear. God, we give you our need for control. God, we give you our resentment. We give you our bitterness. We give you our unforgiveness. God, we give you our exhaustion.
We give you our doubts and our uncertainty. We give you our resistance to love others. God, we give you our greed. We give you our pain. God, I thank you that you sent your only son into this world not to condemn it, but to save it. God, save us from our spiritual blindness. God, for each person who identified with something that was keeping them from seeing you this morning, God, I pray in faith that you will deliver them from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We all say, amen. If you have a need this morning, if you'd like to meet with one of our shepherds, there'll be one down front. Also be one back here in this room to my right, the chapel. Come as we stand and sing.